Hi, and welcome to the Just Riding Along Show. Hello, and welcome to the 18th. So you're 18 now. The 18th episode of Just Riding Along. Tonight's episode is brought to you. It's, I, I already forgot because I made a terrible joke. Kenny has so many screens. Kenny has so many screens. That's what this show is brought to you by. How many screens do you have, Kenny? Seven. Just the two. Okay. Seven. Do we want to start with uh, Patreon donations since yeah. I forgot about that last week? Yeah. Do you want me to do it so you don't sure. poo your voice early in the show? If you want to start at the bottom? Let me have the mouse again. I need the mouse. Ah, mice. This all started because Kenny lost his mouse on the wrong screen when we were trying to synchronize recording the first go around. Um, all right. So these are all people that give 10 doll hairs monthly. That would be Will, Will, the real Matthew, Ty, Taylor, Scott, Phil, Parker, Nick, Nicholas, good old Ben from Mountain Bike Radio, Lead Out Sports, Josh, Jenny Talia, Jeff, Jamie, Jake, Gordon, Garrett, Evan, Brad, Bill, Anthony, Alec, Aaron, and then we go into $20 a month with Troy Laffey. Uh, let's see, Six Pack Outdoors. Mike Brady and Affordable Trail Solutions. And uh yeah, we'll I'm gonna do some random scrolling here. There's two pages and I'm gonna go to here. Also, uh let's see Stephanie. There you go. That was our random random not ten or more dollars a month, but hey, we love you all equally, even though you all don't contribute equally. Well, we we might Shame. love Brady a little bit more because he sent a care package to Kenny. Kenny, what'd you get in the mail? Was it weird? It was not not the weirdest thing I've ever gotten. Uh, that's not encouraging to you folks was to send it? me weird, sketchy shit and possibly human parts. <laughs> um, you know, I've no, already been no more eyelashes. People to send you weird, sketchy shit. Yeah, no more eyelashes or cut out magazine letters to spell stuff out. I don't like that. What about that letter about here's my two cents where Oh yeah. That one was good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there, there Someone mailed been... us two cents and told us that we suck. Yeah, there have been a lot of good ones, so that's funny. But anyway, I got some maple syrup and some truck nuts. <laughs> are they large truck nuts? They are. I think they're like called... are they more than a handful? Yeah, they're they're quite large. I think they're called <laughs> bull nuts is the, the brand name of them. Are they smooth or veiny? They're slightly veiny. What uh, color are they? They are gold. Oh, man. Do they, do they feel natural or do you need to warm them up in your mouth first? Uh, they will not I fit mean, in my mouth. You probably warm them up in the microwave. <laughs> <laughs> that was said like you've tried, which I really appreciate the yeah, dedication. You really like, had some, some like confidence in that response. Like, nope, those don't fit there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what have you what have Brady. you been up to or more brady <laughs> <laughs> uh so i've had some listeners send uh their hunting pictures to me uh several whitetail hunters in the group well i mean that makes sense since a lot of our lis- listeners are in uh the whitetail capital of e- the united states in wisconsin brady his wife mindy went for her first uh deer hunt and 
did not have any luck, and then hit an eight-point whitetail with her car after her deer hunt. And they have this beautiful picture of her posing with the busted up car and the field dressed deer, which I appreciate that they field dressed the animal before they took the photos, like took the time to like pose photos and stuff. Um, you know, that's that's just good standard care right there, you know, before you like park the animal in front of your car and take a picture with the busted up fender. So uh, awesome. Nice job. I said high fiver for me. <laughs> What have you guys been up to besides getting truck nuts in the mail? See, I have not done any riding, so I haven't tried out some fixes for those TRP noisy brakes just yet. I did get a new light. I sold, used to do a ton, a ton, a ton of night riding back in Memphis. Definitely done a decent amount here. There's a nice group of people from the shop that goes on a pretty consistent basis. And here in the desert, even in the dead summer, unlike Memphis, where the nighttime is exactly the same temperature as the daytime, um, <laughs> it is very nice to ride at night here. But anyway, I was definitely a light nerd for the longest time, you know, because there was so much happening for such a long time. Night riding was like, had a resurgence, I feel like, in the mountain bike community because LED stuff was like getting super cheap and it was so good. And there was like a new. Um, you know, like a new little LED emitter would get released into the world from, you know, the likes of Cree and all the people that make LED chips. There'd be a new one like every year. So everybody's would get brighter and cheaper and better and run longer and all the things. And I feel like the past damn near 10 years, it's just slowed down significantly. Like nobody's come out with anything that cool. Um, everything's still kind of expensive. And then you have ultra cheap Chinese shit, which will burn the fuck down your house. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's that anyway. So I had a really, I had every light under the sun from like the original magic shine stuff, which was like distributed by that one guy um, and got all those led things super popular. And then I had, Oh man, what did I have? I had, all the magic shine stuff you can imagine. I had like aftermarket battery packs and then I had like the super tiny lights from, I think it was Gemini was the brand. And then I had some glowworm stuff. And then I went to surface when we carried surface at the shop and that surface stuff I had the longest and it was great. Um, but I just, they were so old and like the battery packs were so old. They still work great. And I never, like I always took care of them. I always left them charged at like 50%, which is what you're supposed to do. And sure enough, they were like great, but you know, like one of the wires and the battery got tugged at one point and it was kind of like hanging out and they just been through a lot. So I figured, Hey, just sell those start scratch from scratch. And that's what I did. So maybe six months or a year ago, I sold all my surface stuff. I had a huge collection of stuff. Um, and someone got a great deal. Like they were still really good lights. Anyway, we carry Knight Rider at the shop. And I hadn't done Knight Rider stuff in a super long time. Way back in the day, I had like their uh, actual light bulb ones that had like halogen lights in them. Oh, yeah, like and a they, giant, yeah. Yeah, they lasted like 30 minutes and they got like hot. And anyway, they were cool. It was fun. You they had to like put terrible. a battery in a water bottle. It was a water bottle battery. It was not even a nickel metal hydride battery. It was NICAD, nickel cadmium, which is like, they were terrible. If you didn't 
babysit those batteries, they were ruined, essentially. And sure enough, it lasted like a year, and that thing was ruined. Anyway, all that to say, I got on the Knight Rider train, and I'm like, you know what? I don't do all this like 12 and 24-hour racing much anymore. Um, I really just go out for an hour or two with my buddies. I don't need anything crazy. Let's just get these little self-contained lights. They're simple, no battery packs, no Velcro. So I got some self-contained Knight Rider stuff, and they're decent, but I just didn't love them. Like, they just, you're ripping downhill pretty good here, and you want some really good lights. So put them on max, they would last, like, not long at all. So anyway, moving away from the Knight Rider stuff, and I'm trying to get back into it and see what's out there. So I picked up a new, new Glowworm. They seem to have some really nice stuff these days still. Uh, it's all USB-C powered now, which is cool. So for the dorks out there who have uh, extra battery banks and all that kind of stuff, you can actually just plug whatever giant anchor or Amazon brand, whatever battery bank you have, you can oh, just plug it nice. straight into the light, which is kind of cool. If nothing else, it's like that spare thing. You already own one of these things. So if the factory battery dies, you can just, you know, toss in your Camelback an extra battery just in case, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, I thought that was cool. Well, that also makes it nice for long distance bike packing too. Yeah, exactly. You can use your... Uh... Well, you can either recharge your battery pack or you can use your uh, Dynamo Hub to recharge your battery pack and then, you know, yeah, there you go. light. And USB-C is just nice because it runs on a higher voltage, so it charges faster. And everyone's got USB stuff kicking around now, including battery banks and cables and chargers and all the things. I always hated with, propri- with nice aftermarket lights with big battery packs. They always have their own proprietary charger. So you got to lug that thing around, which is annoying. But USB-C just works. So that's really cool. Anyway, long story short, I haven't ridden with it yet, but I've definitely messed around with it a lot, got it all set up. It's got a little GoPro mount you can use, which is really cool. It's got like a side clamp thing you can use, so it's got tons of mount options. It's got a little wireless remote, so you can run multiple lights on one remote or just run a wireless remote, which is cool. Uh, Yeah, reasonably priced. I think it was like 260 and it's a 2200 lumen little guy. Anyway, just a shout out to them. So far, so good. I'll give you guys a report when I actually go rip it. But yeah, so far, so good. Other than that, I have I did a little bit of research. None of the vendors that I can get really had anything that compelling. Surface still makes decent, decent stuff. Lupine, the German company, their stuff's amazing, but it's a zillion dollars. Uh, and it's just funny. Light and that- Motion is... I, I've had Light and Motion lights for, geez, for years. Like I got a set to race vapor trail the first time yeah i think i remember and that. i still have all of them and i don't know if they're really a lot different than they were they when haven't I got changed those. They i just, looked at they work real well yeah they're they're fine there's, there's plenty of fine light brands out there there's just nobody who's done anything like new and cool and a lot of that's because you know led technology like the progression of it has just slowed down but glowworm at least had a relatively new model which is pretty cool I was just surprised again that there's not, I thought stuff would be even cheaper and even better. And it's honestly like kind of the same. So <clears throat> if anyone's curious out there, if you already have a really nice light setup from less than 10 years ago, that's LED and a couple thousand lumens, I think you'd be surprised there's not actually that much amazing stuff out there. So I was just kind of surprised by that. I figured there was going to be like a zillion companies to choose from with all kinds of amazing products. and it was either straight China garbage that you'd have to essentially provide your own battery for, 
and then it might die on you. Who knows? Oh, that but I would suck. definitely never run one of those batteries that come with all the ones on eBay and Amazon. Like you will die. So what exactly? Yeah. Just for our listeners. I mean, I, I know what happens with bad batteries um, for our listeners. What would happen if you got a shitty, say, light or even I've seen like with e-bike kits um, and just anything like that? RC car stuff, like anything that uses a rechargeable battery. Sure. Uh, why does it behoove people to get nice batteries? Yeah. So in the lithium battery world, and lithium batteries are amazing. They're in everything you own, pretty much every laptop, every phone. I think everybody knows about lithium ion. They run Teslas. They are going to run the world. They are amazing. They're super power dense and you can charge them relatively quickly and all the things. The downside is there's a lot of chemical energy there and they're very, the way the chemistry works, it's very picky. It likes to be charged only a certain way. Um, and even if you abide by all the charging standards, you don't do anything goofy. You don't over discharge it. You don't overcharge them like too much voltage. Uh, they like to run in like kind of a narrow window. Even if you take care of them, the problem is if you get some no-name manufacturer of this part, anybody can pretty easily roll up a lithium battery. Like, they're not complicated devices necessarily, but there's a lot of little nuances that go to it. Exactly the chemistry of how the stuff is made and the paste and the all the stuff that goes into it and how the container is built if it's rolled up into like a, a battery-looking container. Um, there's a lot of complexity and a lot of testing that has to happen. This is a lot like carbon frames essentially yeah anybody can roll up a carbon frame it's not complicated if you take a step back it's like yeah it's some carbon fabric it's some epoxy you slap it on a mold you maybe bake it a little bit like what's so hard about that right <laughs> the problem is there's a lot bada that's bing, hard about bada it. Boom, you just do it your in your uncle. kitchen <laughs> and that's the problem is someone makes something that looks compelling that's a complete knockoff that has had no testing who knows what stuff they're using who knows how thick they make it in certain places and all the things it's not just spitting out a frame that looks like a frame we all know there's so much more to it right there's flex in certain places just strong enough all the things it's super complicated right like it's an art form so same thing with the batteries you can make a battery that will accept a charge and will spit out electricity on the other side when you ask it but they can also burn your damn house down so much like a carbon frame yeah you could buy a carbon frame and you might buy a carbon frame that works halfway decent. I have no idea. It's just not worth it. It's absolutely just not worth it at all. Like, no Tesla is going to roll around with gray market batteries in it. Like, they're not going to do that. And there's a reason you pay what you pay for nice things. So, especially when it comes to safety. And I would say batteries are way up there. And the frame that I'm going to go ripping on a downhill at 35 miles an hour uh, that's also high on my list of things that I don't want to snap in half randomly. So there you go. <laughs> don't buy, <laughs> don't buy Chinese batteries. Yeah. Uh, and if you do, you just need to be a smart person. And if you're going to buy that China light, um, the light head itself, Hey, it might actually be semi-usable. It might be semi-bright. It's never going to be the specs that they tell you. They're going to say it's 10,000 lumens and it's $20. It ain't 10,000 lumens. I'm sorry. It might be half of that or something like that. So as long as you know that going in and maybe you go buy an aftermarket pack with real cells in it that plug in, 
go for it. Um, that's a viable thing, but just I would be extremely wary of running a Chinese battery. Like it could be fine for a while, but it also is probably going to be half the advertised capacity and it might burn your house down. And to maybe explain the burn your house down, the battery will short circuit in a way, have a thermal event and pretty much discharge violently resulting in fire right yeah I mean, that's the, yeah, the it's, one it's sentence really explanation crazy. right <clears throat> so what'll happen is have a thermal event yeah so yeah they call it thermal runaway and the deal is many things could happen you could either it could be your user fault or maybe a charger that's bad or something if you charge it at too high of a rate or too high of a voltage it can then get too hot and then once it gets too hot it starts getting hotter and hotter and then all of a sudden it runs away and then that shit's going to explode. Uh, or you could do nothing wrong with it. You've got it all charged within the parameters. Everything's great and it's just sitting there. And the internal chemistry of that cell <clears throat> can actually short in itself without any outside in interference, like not piercing it with anything. You're not overheating it. You're not overcharging it. It can just happen sitting there, which is really scary. Um, and that just goes to the nuances of how this thing is rolled up in that little cell. Uh, there's a lot that goes into it. Look at the, I mean, even major manufacturers aren't immune to it. Go read some news on the Chevy Bolt, B-O-L-T, not Volt V as in Victor. That's the little hybrid kind of thing, the Bolt with a B. Uh, that one is all electric and they use name brand cells. I think LGs or something like that. But there was a problem with the design and it was a design I think that was bespoke to that car and the way that cell was laid out has problems and you can have that thing charged at like 75% you're doing everything right it's sitting there and it can sit there like that for a day and then the whole car just explodes so if you're curious go watch some videos <laughs> oh and all that I, stuff I've and it's gnarly it. yeah I've got to watch some videos on yeah that. Chevy has the balls to say oh and well it only happened to like 10 or 20 people so it's probably fine, but maybe don't charge your car all the way and maybe don't charge it in your garage and maybe you should like watch it while it's charging, but it's fine. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, to give you, to, to wrap this one up, uh, someone crashed a Tesla into a tree or a telephone pole or something at mm -hmm. like 90 miles an hour. Yep. Um, like you do. Like Yeah, you, do. you know, Tesla stuff. Um, in a school zone. Actually... Uh, ridiculously fast car stuff because you know that's what every thing that's how that happens with every Challenger or Camaro or Tesla like they're all really fast right too fast for just like everyday driving but the fire department sprayed 30,000 gallons of water on it and couldn't put it out and Tesla was just like duh you gotta let it burn out don't be an idiot like their yeah. answer was of course you can't put it out so you know Kenny's not like exaggerating he's, he's when he says it'll burn your house down. Queen. Like it'll burn your house down. So should I talk about what I've been doing? Yeah. Absolutely. That's twenty minutes of battery talk. That's amazing. Um people are gonna leave this podcast smarter than when they arrived, most likely. They're gonna leave and like tell their significant other, I learned something today. <laughs> Did you know? No, I think they'll probably be grumpier and or people's eyes have glazed over. All right. Well, Matt, what have you been doing? Uh, I rode my bike. Which it was. Bike? I rode my hardtail again. I had a thermal runaway event of <laughs> sorts as well. Uh, you know, I did a pretty long ride for me a couple weeks back, and then I did a kind of long ride this week, and it just like 
you know, I'd, I'd ridden my bike a bunch in a row. It was like I did a longer ride. I did a couple of trainer rides. I did a longer ride. I did a couple more trainer rides. And then I did another trainer ride and a longer ride. And then I was just like, all right, I'm really tired. I, I just didn't ride for a couple of days. Um, but we went and rode this canyon that's like not really that fun to ride. I'm sure at some point we'll go there and take some cool pictures because there's some really cool waterfall sections that you could ride of this trail. Um, I rode like two out of the three waterfall sections on my rocker. I'll ride the last one for sure. It needs just a little, like, like it's rideable on any bike, but it needs a little grooming in the the landing area. It's like some soft, sandy gravel with, like, softball-sized rocks in it. Eh, you, you, and bigger. They're bigger. A, a different way to think of it is, like, this would be a great and easy thing to ride, and then you look at, like, the 10 or 15 feet of front out, and you're like, oh... Right, this is an active canyon that flash floods a couple of times a year, probably, or maybe, you know, a couple of times a decade or whatever. The canyon walls are pretty tall, and all these large, you know, Andrea said grapefruit, I mean, they're nearly soccer ball-sized rocks, have, like, found their way down here. And with, like, 10 or 15 minutes of, like, quick track building, you know, just, like, moving the big rocks so you actually have somewhere to ride when you leave the waterfall area, like, it would be... And it's not like, oh, you're taking out the rocks. You can't ride a rock garden. No, they're like nearly soccer ball sized rocks just sitting on the ground. Like, you well, would... they're also movable. Like, they yeah, would... that's not, what I mean. They're yeah. not going to move predictably when you touch them. Right, like a rock garden, you can like plow through it because they don't move. These like roll around and stuff. So when you hit one, it would just squirt your front wheel out until your face touched the ground. So, but I did that ride and I rode in my trail pants again. And I'm just going to say it again, uh, those Fox Ranger pants, I paid full price for them, and they're worth every penny. I'm just letting you know that I'm not, like, getting endorsed to say those pants are good. I just really like them. So, and then, that's really, really it for me. Just going to throw out a little PSA and move on. Uh, As we move into holiday shopping season, be fucking nice to retail workers. Just do it. Your poor planning is not our problem. I don't care that your significant other is a dickhead and this is the only thing that's going to make them happy. You should have bought it sooner. I don't care. Like, just just keep that in mind. You could have shopped sooner. I know we're really early in shopping season, but... It is really early to, I, to have a bad shopping season already. I already felt it. Yeah, and stop. Um, maybe stop fighting people that work on airplanes. I don't understand that little deal. Very is that odd. still a thing? It's still a thing, I think. Are people still fighting airplane? Yeah, they like flight. They fight flight attendants and stuff. Like, I don't understand what could. Oh, anyway, we obviously don't even need to discuss why that's insane. I um, yeah, I have a great answer for that. You right. live flying distance from your family, and you hate them so much you want to get put on the no fly list so you don't have to visit them anymore. That's pretty smart. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Oh, you know, I'd come out there, but I jacked that flight attendant in the jaw, and I can't fly anymore. So, sorry. No, uh, they yeah, had to that, duct that's tape actually, me to a seat. It's actually the most reasonable explanation that I've heard. <laughs> I know. That's what I was going for. Is something so absurd that it would have to be the most reasonable thing you've heard. Um, Andrea, what what have you been doing? You went on that bike ride with me. You seem to have more fun than I did. Yeah, I mean, it was a typical Andrea kind of ride. It was a spot that. I had seen while elk hunting, and I wanted to go back and explore it a little bit. You basically have to, it's kind of like 50-50 riding and hike-a-biking. 
you could probably ride a little bit more of it right after a rain when the sand was more compact, but it was very deep and sandy and you'd just be going along and like your rear wheel kind of would hit a rock and shoot out sideways and your whole bike would turn 90 degrees and you just stop, that kind of thing. So that took, I don't know, half an hour to get up or so. And then there's gravel at the top. The part of the gravel I saw when I was elk hunting was really nice and kind of graded and driven on a lot. And then we went the other direction because I hadn't seen it. And it was not really nice and graded. And I mean, it probably has ATVs drive on it sometimes, but, you know, it was rough, but it was really cool. It was really pretty. It's just a really unique kind of, I don't know, there's so many just pockets of like interesting geography and climate around here that, you know, it was just one of those places that you can go to. It's like this little place right here is unlike any other little place, you know, within five miles of it. So it was cool. I thought it was a cool spot anyway. Uh, other than that. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but, you know, it was just hard and then it started getting cold. Yeah. Those are two things I don't do well with, adversity and cold. <laughs> so I've been working, and I kind of got this itch to have a little like elk season redemption, and I started looking for leftover elk tags, and I found a single one for the area, for an area, like a, a unit, well, it was two units together, that include the oil well tracks flats trail system. And I thought, you know what? Outside of that trail system, like way outside of it, a few miles outside of it, there is a little corner of BLM land that has no roads going into it. It has this one hiking trail going into it. It looks nice and grassy and kind of open. Like there could be elk there. And on the, the habitat map, it's available through CPW and Onyx Hunt, shows it as elk winter range. So I'm like, you know what? If I can go to this spot and I can find sign that there are elk around, I'm going to see if I can get this single tag. Uh, but on Saturday, I went there. It was a really cool area. It was a difficult hike in and it would be a tough area to hunt. There were no elk there. There's just some very old poop. So it's kind of like an extreme winter area, I guess you would call it. You know, I think if we had a couple of just ripping snowstorms, uh, that's probably what it would take to get, you know, animals in that area. So I did not get the tag. But other than that, I've just been kind of chilling out and working. Do you guys want to do listener questions now? Just a couple, because I, 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 I got the tired. <laughs> okay. Uh, we've got... First, we'll do a, an update. So last week, we talked about the creek hunting. We actually left one bike part off. So Jason, who asked us about finding creeks, he says, So far, I have lubed my seat post, swapped the seat post clamp, and swapped the bottom bracket. Sorry, Kenny. It's a hardtail single-speed rigid. So it sounds like the next move would be the headset through Axel's pedal stem and or just throw the bike away. One thing I failed to mention is that I'm a big guy. I'm 345 riding a 17 and a half pound bike. That may be the problem. Single speeds are like the noisiest hardtail bikes you can possibly get. And 
I didn't even think to say that when we were talking about finding creeks. So usually the thing, whatever it is that tensions the chain, if I have a single speed making noise, that's the first thing that I check. But uh, yeah, that was just a nice little update. Uh, we'll just stay posted on uh, what he what he finds on his single speed. Okay. To a slightly more in-depth question. This is from Reed. Matt and I might tag team this if my voice starts to uh, leave. My, ba- my bike came with a DT Swiss XM1700 wheel set with a 350 rear hub. No, would- let's just high point it. So he's got DT Swiss XM1700 350 hubs. He noticed that the rear wheel had some drag. The bike, uh, he realized the bearings in the rear hub felt sticky. He didn't think the bearings should need to be replaced after just one year and maybe 600 miles, but he is in the Pacific Northwest with wet and mud. The shop changed them out, said that they were really sticky in the hub, but after they took the bearings out, they didn't seem too bad. Put a pin in that. Uh, note they said the free hub bearings felt like new. The guy at the shop said he'd seen this with these hubs and mentioned that they are machined a little tight on the tolerance side, which causes this. His main suggestion was to keep the axle torque on the low end of the range. With the new bearings, the wheel spun a lot better initially, but after a couple of rides, seems to have gotten a little bit sticky again. I don't have a scientific way to measure it, but when I compare it to other, my, other bikes in my garage, it spins about half as many rotations with a similar force. Have you encountered this before? Is there anything other than do, to do than just live with it or contact DT Swiss? Um, and then we had read this show or read this question and sent a note saying like it sounds like you're missing that little sleeve that goes between the free hub and the hub shell. Because if you don't have that sleeve in there, the bike coasts just fine. But then as soon as you torque the axle properly, it doesn't coast well. So if you untorque the axle, it coasts just fine. So it sounded like his hub was missing a part and his shop was telling him to like, just run your through axle loose. It'll it'll be fine. And then he's like, I do know the part you're talking about. Uh, I have, I've had it off and I know that it's in there. Let's see. The binding was there without the free hub installed. So just running like the axle with an end cap in the wheel, it was binding. I'd say that almost sounds like a bent axle. Yeah, like when, when you remove a bearing and it feels better in your hand, that's like every bearing ever. Like I've never overhauled, I say never, like never when you overhaul suspension, do you pull the bearings out and you're like, boy, these feel terrible. Like you feel them in the uh, swing some, arm. Sometimes. Yeah, but like you feel them in the swing arm, you're like, ugh. And you take it out, you're like, ah, it wasn't that bad. It's the same with hubs. Like a hub bearing will feel like really bad. You get it out of tension. The, the outer race gets compressed the tiniest bit when you drive it into the hub shell, hopefully. And... Of course, the bearing's going to feel better, like just out in the air, like free balling, all puns intended. Like, it just feels better. So, I don't know. Like, I'm with Andrea. I think the axle's bent. I've never heard of a 350 hub shell being crooked, personally. Have you, I've not seen any problems that I can think of with really any DT Swiss hubs, period, as far as manufacturing goes, other than their non DT 350, 240 stuff. And then. Some of the old 180 stuff had all kinds of problems because they were glued together. Uh, but your basic DT240 and DT350, especially the non-EXP ones, I mean, I just haven't had any issues, and I see so many of them. Not saying there's not an issue with yours. It's possible. 
you, you're going to have a very good idea. You might want to just be there when the shop is working on it. Um, I know that can be annoying for some people, but if you want to shed more light on the issue or if you can do it yourself, essentially figure out how much force it takes to press those bearings in. If the force is too great, then you've got a hub shell tolerance problem, like straight up, and that could definitely cause drag. And that's it's a possibility. I doubt it. Uh, you could be missing a part, like Matt and Andrea said. So just make sure you've got all the parts in there, especially at the free hub. And the last thing that I have seen on some DT240 road hubs, in particular some Roval ones, is the dust seal at the driver body where it touches the hub shell. It's just too tight and everything's pressed in. Everything's perfect. It's all fine. And I don't have a good explanation as to why some of them have that issue. And you just have to remove that seal. Like there's no other way around it. And you remove the seal and it's perfect. Like it works great. So those are pretty rare though. I think I've only seen two or three of those. Um, but I've never seen bearings themselves be hard to press into any DT hub bodies. So that's your next next course of action is figure out exactly how snug those bearings are. Because if they press in with a normal amount of force, then you've got some other problem. Uh, because no matter what, there has to be an interference fit. It's very roughly, very roughly, one thousandth of one inch for every one inch diameter. That's what the interference fit is supposed to be on your average cartridge bearing. So if it's more than that, um, I mean, it's going to be hard to measure, obviously. I mean, even a set of digital calipers, like they're not designed for the job. Like you need to actually have proper like micrometers and all that jazz. So again, you can just get a general idea. If it takes more than, you know, if you've got a normal screw type uh, bearing installer, if it takes reasonable force to install those bearings, then you've got a problem. Yeah, like I do a lot of through the phone troubleshooting these days and I tell people, I'm like, I often describe it like as, did you have to stop talking? You know, you you should be able to tighten these while having a conversation. If yes. you have to pause conversation and like grunt at it, then you have a problem. Or... If someone's never owned DI2 before and they're trying to plug it in, I tell them, if the wire just plugged right in, like, whoop, and you can unplug it again, like, boo, whoop, whoop. I was like, that is not plugged in. I was like, you're probably going to have to grab the wire and nearly, like, give it a little grunt and, like, whoop, and you'll hear it click, and it'll actually be plugged in, not just held in the waterproofing. And then people's DI2 starts working, and they shower me with Miller High Life, and <laughs> my day is over, so... So I would, you know, I, I think it could be, yeah, a tolerance issue with the hub shell, possibly. Probably not, just because it's DT Swiss and those hubs are really good, but you never know. A bent axle, uh, I think calling DT Swiss or emailing them, I think, is the only way that they will uh, talk to you now. Uh, what, what was the guy's name that I communicated with at DT Swiss? I don't know. It was like Bobby or some just normal <laughs> person's name. Hopefully you get to talk to uh, that guy when you talk to someone at DT Swiss. Tell them Andrea from Just Riding Along sent you. He will have no idea who you're talking about. But anyway, I think it's worth talking to them and just telling them all of the troubleshooting that you've done. I think you're on the right path with your troubleshooting. So, you know, when you run out of stuff you can do at your house, then maybe you know, talking to them and seeing what they say is, is worthwhile. All right. Any others? Yeah. Just a sec. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that one tonight. So a customer, uh, listener says, I ride flat pedals. Brian. 
Okay, Brian. Congratulations. Oh, here's a pretty quick one we can we can talk talk about since you wanted to do a little shorter show. From and I'm gonna say this just because it sounds like it's his business. Scott Dennis tattoos. Twenty two point two oddity tie bars is proper bike snob etiquette to use a BMX stem or thirty one eight stem with a shim. Preferably a super wise ass answer. Heart Happy holidays, y'all. I'm gonna let y'all go first because I got a little, I got a little spice to throw in. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, I would just run a normal fucking handlebar. Come on. Well, yeah, there's that. The That's reason, my answer. The reason that 22.2 titanium bars exist is because someone just gets a 22.2 bar machined or drawn or whatever they do to those things, and then you don't have to do any other processes like hydroforming or fancy stuff. And, you know, the industry is already so set up to do that with aluminum that you can go buy any, any parts like going to be so similar. It's probably more expensive to do with titanium. And that's why such a bar exists because someone is being a cheap ass. That's why straight up. So I probably wouldn't buy said bar. Uh, and the way I would run it, if I had to have a 22.2 titanium bar is I would run a regular 31.8 stem and I would run a shim. You know what I would do is I would use a 35 stem with a shim to 31.8 and then a shim from 31.8 to 35. <laughs> there is your smart ass answer. All right. Is that what we're going with for smart ass? Because <laughs> I was going to drop the real heat. Go, Go ahead. If you can afford a $360 fucking handlebar and you can't afford a $60 stem that properly clamps it, and you want to resort to using some $12 Bobo-looking-ass clamps, it looks stupid. I, I have... <laughs> look, You're telling me this bar I'm, costs over $300, and it doesn't clamp to a regular stem? Titanium is $360 US with $12 US shipping. Chromoly bar what is 160 is Titanium bar is oddity. <laughs> What? It's 15 degree back sweep, 45 millimeter rise, 800 wide, oh, and it Kenny's fits 31.8 stem clamp diameter with included shim. Actual bar <laughs> diameter is 22.2. It, it doesn't fit with a shim. It's it's retrofitable with a shim. But here's the thing, like I I I have so little like patience for this because you're obviously running an oddity bar because you want your bike to look cool i'm not mad at you okay i run envy bars because they look cool i i i, I think my envy bars look so cool with the envy logo i put tape road tape there so the logo's covered up because my bars are so cool i don't want people to see them if you don't catch the snark yet just keep listening you'll catch up <laughs> That, like, you just got like the angry smart snark going right now. I mean, I'm just, I see this all the time. And like, I, I think you get a pass for like a month. You just bought these new weird ass handlebars. They're really tall. They got more sweep than you're used to all this stuff. And after like a month, you need to order a quality BMX stem, like a profile redneck stem. That's an amazing stem. And you could run a redneck. You can get a redneck top loader. You can get a redneck front loader. I mean. You got options, and they come in all sorts of cool colors, and it would be awesome. And they're BMX parts, so they're cheap. 
BMX parts are really cheap. Um, I think a redneck stem is like sixty dollars. Like, uh, it's it's pretty awesome. So <laughs> my point is is like if you want your bike to have weird bars and look cool, like just go on and go on and buy the proper stem. Again, you get like a month to get your fit dialed in, and and then just buy the stem. But then remember that you're going to have to carry standard Allen wrenches because BMX is bicycle, but it's not metric. But yeah, it's worth it. There you go. So there's your super snark ass answer because it's been at least a week since I did that. And I went on a rant by opening the show about stop pushing juice up. Uh, what so else Scott Dennis tattoos. I'm looking at his Instagram. He's got he's got some really nice tattoos, but I have to say that my favorite one is Beavis and Butthead sitting on the couch eating nachos and doing cornholio because it's the thing that does it for me is the little wiggling lines around Beavis that make him vibrating. Like you know that he's cornholio. Yeah, by yeah, his like vibrations. That's exactly. So I, I just I like it. That that's from from my uh, my era of TV nostalgia. Were there more questions on that one, or did you just? No, that was it. Oh, okay. No, we didn't get a lot. I I put that post up, and we didn't get a whole lot of. Uh, a whole lot of questions there, so we can just have a short show. The last show was a few minutes long. This show can be a few minutes short. Unless you guys have other stuff you want to talk about, like stuff you hate or don't I'll hate. Be, or... I'll be nice for a second. If you want to spend a lot of money on your bars and run whatever stem makes you happy, then be happy. But just know that I'm going to be judging you. <laughs> you have to send us a picture of the bike when you're finished with it. Let us know what you did. Kenny, are you still in awe that there is a $300 titanium bar out there? $360. That $60 difference there, that's an entire S&M Redneck XLT stem. Am I surprised? No. Uh, it, oof. Yeah. I mean, I just, I know, I know why it exists because, and again, it's not, I wish people would understand why things are the way they are. It's, it's from a custom frame builder. There's nothing wrong with that. But you just have to know what you're getting. Like when you get a custom titanium frame built by someone, I know there's going to be a lot of upset people out there, but you're getting for the most part some round tubes that have been welded together in the way that you want. Like that's it. So if you want a bike that lasts a long time, uh, that's great. You know, you can refinish them. You can re-weld them. Um, that's all really cool. But if you're looking for the highest performing bicycle, I'm sorry. It's just not going to be a custom titanium frame. But if you're a person that has a weird fit or wants weird stuff bolted or connected to your bike, I get it. That's why that exists. That's fine. You just need to understand what part of the market that space fulfills. Like, it's not a performance thing. So, hey, I'm looking on there. He can do bars and all kinds of different bends, all kinds of different heights. Like, that's all cool. That's fine. But if you're going to buy their, like, cookie cutter bar that's, like, roughly average sweep and average rise why the fuck would you buy that just buy a regular bar if you need some weird and wonderful thing that's fine and that's why it's a 22.2 because it's 22.2 at the freaking grips so for ease of making other things custom in any way you want that's why it's a 22.2 clamp and i know that's probably not this guy's question i think he understands probably why it's a 22.2 but it just yeah it bothers me like it's just so silly. There's so many bars out there. Um, I don't know why you wouldn't just buy 
They make bars with every rise you can imagine. They make 80 mil rise. Are you still bars. Are you still riding that one piece junk? I am. I'm on the what you call it. I think that thing's cheaper than $360 too, by the way. <laughs> and it's got engineering so, and lightness. To to throw it out there, S&M Redneck Stem in high polish is $80. You can get a Challenger Stem, which is a little bit different length, a little bit different design. You can get that one in red, yellow, maroon, black, or high polished silver. Or you can get Digi Camo or the S&M scatter print, like water dip scatter print. So they, they do all those options for you. And even the fancy color options are like 100 bucks. So, you know, it's really like... It's really cool. You just have to add a quarter inch Allen wrench to your bag along with your bong and all the other shit you're probably carrying. I'm sure Oddity makes some kind of way to attach your bong to your bike. Uh, I know that... They they aren't the ones that make the tie bong, are they? Dangle bong makes tie bongs. Okay. And then there's another company that makes tie bongs, but that's not dangle bongs. All right. Okay, I think uh, we're just going to... Shut it off for now. Homer Simpson into the bushes. Just Homer Simpson right into the bushes. Uh, keep sending me your hunting photos. I really like seeing those. You can send them to Just Riding Along, or you can send them to uh, what's my Instagram? Brickhouse Racing. Yeah, send them to either place because I look at both of those. Kenny and Matt don't look at that shit at all. Anything else, Kenny? Nope. All right. Bye. Shut it down. Thanks for tuning in to the Just Riding Along Show. There's some shit coming out of your great pads.